Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hey, you made it through another week. Congratulations. I think we all deserve a little pat on the back. Um, again, for those of you who are going to be working this weekend so that the rest of us can um, have a couple of days off and live our lives, we appreciate you. The first responders, the hospital workers, the retail workers, and all the other folks who work all or part of the weekend, I will never forget your service, having spent many, many, many years being one of you. But if you are lucky enough to have the weekend off, I certainly hope you have something planned that will bring you joy. Um, me, uh, let's see. I'm going to be running errands. Does that <laughs> does that count? Oh, wait, no, I do have a birthday party to go to. So there you go. A little bit of something for everybody. So we're going to do this Friday what we do every Friday. We are going to open up the phone lines. We are going to talk about the news of the day and the news of the week. 773-763-9278. Seven six three WCPT. For those of you who have never called in before and um, might find something a little bit easier to remember with some letters in it, hope to hear from you. We're going to spend the first half of the show today just you and me talking about stuff. Um, Kirsten Cinema. Did you see the news? Uh, apparently, she had a deep and heartfelt conversation with Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader of the Senate majority, yesterday. And today the big announcement is that she is no longer a Democrat. She is an independent. There was a lot of concern, and we've talked about it on this show, about whether or not she would completely repudiate the Democratic Party and become a Republican Mitch McConnell has clearly been wooing her. But um, she says she is an independent. She hasn't publicly committed to the fact that uh, she's definitely going to caucus with the Democrats. That's like um, Angus King of Maine, who's an independent, but he caucuses with the Democrats. He sits in with them. He votes with them most of the time. You know, he is essentially, you know, you, you pretty much have to caucus with the Republicans or the Democrats. The, the caucusing, the committee meetings, all the meetings, that's where stuff gets done. And if you're not caucusing with one side or the other, you really are absolutely neutered. So um, Chuck Schumer and everybody in Washington is putting a happy face on this and saying, you know what? She's given us every indication that she is still going to, you know, vote our way and support our issues. You know, even though she was definitely a thorn in Joe Biden's side, she up until now has voted with the Democrats 90 plus percent of the time. It's just those pesky little defections that have rankled. And uh, now she gets to do that. I guess whenever she chooses. So she was meeting with Chuck Schumer, not just to tell him what she wanted to do, but basically to ask him to keep her on all of her committees. You know, the Democrats hold sway in the Senate. And uh, if Chuck Schumer doesn't want you on a committee, 
he can get rid of you. So uh, she met with Schumer yesterday, and I have to believe, you know, they, you know, Chuck Schumer's n- not the kind of guy not to talk reality. You know, how are you going to vote? Are you going to vote with us? Are you going to caucus with us? You know, are and and sh- her argument is that this is really who I've always been. You know, I had the Democratic label, but I've always been an independent, so I'm not changing at all. Hmm. She did ask Schumer, could she please stay on Homeland Security? Could she stay on the Banking Committee? Could she stay on Commerce? And could she stay on Veteran Affairs? And um, he said yes. This is what the Washington Post is quoting Schumer as saying, Kirsten is an independent. That's how she's always been. I believe she's a good and effective senator, and I'm looking forward to a productive session in the new Democratic majority Senate. Okay. Um, And again, she's saying, look, you know what? It's a label change. It doesn't mean anything. And I thought the Washington Post article was really interesting because essentially what the Washington Post says is inside the Beltway in Washington, it doesn't seem to be a big deal. You know, Schumer's keeping her on her committees. She has um, promised that um, she is going to caucus at least some of the time with Democrats. She essentially, I guess she's saying, I'll support you as much as I ever have, (laughs) however much that is. But not everybody is taking it that well. The Washington Post article is like, yeah, you know, in Washington, everybody's putting a smiley face on it. No big deal. You know, she's going to be who she always has been. And we're counting on her support. Blah, 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 blah. But in Arizona, the Democratic Party in Arizona is very, very upset with her. Very upset with her. Um, She had already kind of ticked them off by not being as much of a Democrat as they wanted her to be. It was pretty sure already that she was going to be facing a primary challenge in 2024 when she is on the ballot. And this may be a way for her to try to survive. She has really ticked off the Democrats in Arizona. Well, aside from a lot of us outside of Washington who have looked at her askance. But in Arizona, they are not happy with her. They were not happy with her before. And the fact that she has essentially turned her back on the party and the party organization, you can imagine how well that's going down. So what does this mean as an independent? This means that she will not be involved in a Democratic primary in 2024. So essentially, depending upon how things play out, if she decides to run for re-election, she is probably going to be facing a Democrat and a Republican. Now, is her thinking that the two of them will split the vote and she'll come out the winner? Maybe. Because the writing has kind of been on the wall. They have been so upset with her for so long that it was pretty much a given that she was going to face a challenger, a primary challenger. 
maybe she figures this might be a way to uh, stave off defeat in 2024. I don't really know what her thinking is. Surprisingly, she does not share that with me. But here is what Arizona Democratic Party Chair Raquel Tehran said today. Okay, she said uh, Kirsten's Kirsten Cinema did help bring jobs to the state. Did help, she believes. Raquel Tehran says she helped believe Cinema helped improve the economy of the state of Arizona. But she said that's pretty much it uh, on every other priority or policy. She has either fallen short or repudiated it. Raquel uh, Terrence said this, Senator Cinema may now be registered as an independent, but she has shown she answers to corporations and billionaires, not Arizonans. Senator Cinema's party registration means nothing if she continues to not listen to her constituents. And as somebody who started life as some kind of eco-warrior green candidate, she has, she has seen the light. She has seen that um, eco-organizations don't really have the millions to put in your campaign fund. But you know what? Big Pharma does. Corporate interests do. And, you know, if you have to vote against your party to give them those interests what they want, well, I guess that's just the price I pay for getting those big checks. One of the most interesting non-presidential races in 2024 is going to be this Senate race. By all accounts, not that long ago, she thought she was well-positioned to run for president in 2024. If you had to get me to put money on that election right now, I don't think she's going to rewin her Senate seat. I really don't. I think she has... She's not MAGA enough or far right enough to really be embraced by the Republicans in Arizona, who are a pretty hardcore group. Remember, they've produced some pretty Joe Arpaio, the crazy sheriff. That's Arizona, baby. So she's not off the deep end to the right. She has now turned her back on the Democratic Party and the Democratic organization. How's she going to win? Um, I, is she counting on the fact that there are enough independents for her to squeak through? That her I'm not one party or the other is going to attract some Democratic and Republican votes? I don't know. Like, um, we, like what we've seen on the Republican side, you know, the Lindsey Grahams of the world, the Kevin McCarthy's of the world. Kirsten Cinema is looking out for number one. So I'm sure in some calculation that she and her inner circle have made, this decision makes sense and somehow will preserve her access to power. I will not be sad to see this woman go. As much as I would love to see more women in public office, mm, I could live without this one, okay? 
Let's take a break and get to the phone lines right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Friday, and every Friday you join me and we spend uh, at least the first half of the show talking about the news of the day and the news of the week. Let's go to the phone lines. George is calling in from the south side. Hey, George, how are you today? Very, very unhappy. Hmm. Um, I think Stephanie Miller hit it on the head in her show this morning when she was referring to she from Arizona, whose name not be mentioned. (laughs) The Voldemort of Arizona. That's right. The attention whore. Look at me. I'm the center of attention. Um, Mm -hmm. This may sound a little presumptuous. And if so, I apologize because I'm a white guy. All right. But this action appears to me to be pure pandering to racism. I mean, we just witnessed a courageous and capable Senator Raphael Warnock drag his state and our country a couple of long, hard steps toward the light. But now we have this self-centered, self-absorbed, blonde, white, quintessential Karen that's denied him and all of us who supported him the well-deserved fruits of a hard-won victory. She's giving aid and comfort to the worst elements of this country. I'm sure the maggots are rejoicing, and Trump will be praising her shortly. I mean, bottom line is democracy took a hit from her today. You know, the voice of the people had decreed a 51-49 Democratic majority Senate, and now the voice of one demented individual has overturned the will of the people, made the Senate 50-50 once again. It's not to serve any higher purpose, only her own. And this is just reprehensible. Well, I agree with you that on on paper, she's taken the Dems down. But just like with Angus King, Angus King of Maine uh, is signed up as an independent, but he caucuses with the Democrats. And so Chuck Schumer's argument is that it's still 51-49 because she didn't go all the way and become a Republican. Uh, uh, Supposedly, what she's trying to do, George, is she's trying to create this image that she's John McCain. She's from Arizona, and she's a maverick. That supposedly is what a lot of people are saying is her game plan here. Um. I don't think she's any kind of John McCain. John McCain, I didn't always agree with him, but I appreciated who he was and where he came from. And uh, I don't appreciate those things with Kirsten Cinema. I don't. I don't think so. She betrayed the very people who catapulted her into office. And um, I think she thinks that she's positioning herself as some kind of grand moderate but I don't think that's how voters are going to see her. I think she's going down in 2024. If she's smart, re- she'll just simply st- she won't run for re-election. But I don't think she's smart. Well, the reality is is that uh, the people, like as you put it out, the people who supported her from the beginning and helped her climb the ladder to where she is have all turned their backs on her, and rightfully so. And the money's not coming from them anymore. But she no. has Mm-mm. signed up with some of the the biggest and darkest financiers of politics in this country. There's a lot of dark money behind her right now that isn't 
fully known and the implications of it aren't fully known. Um, she's, she's, she's abusing the system and the trust of her fellow Democrats by having her cake and eating it too. Okay. I'm not a Democrat and, uh, but I'm still going to caucus and I'm going to have my committee chairmanships mm-hmm. and my seniority. And it's, it's like when she came into Chuck Schumer's office and sprang this on him, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, if that had been me sitting behind the desk, I would have wanted to come around the side and just whap her upside the head. I mean, well, I think a, those committee assignments are the way that Chuck Schumer is going to make sure she doesn't stray too far from the party line. Because just because he's promised that she will stay on those committees for now doesn't mean that if she starts voting against Democratic interests that he has to keep her on those committees. And again, just in the Senate, as in as in the House of Representatives, if you're not on a committee, you are powerless. You are basically you have nothing to do unless you are on a committee. And so Schumer now has has some power to wield over her. We will see how it plays out. Um, George, thank you. Go ahead. She can always go to the other side of the aisle anytime she wants. She's holding that sort of Damocles over his head. You know, and I... I was thinking about that for a long time, whether or not she would do that. But even if she goes to the other side, it would make the Senate 50-50, which with the tiebreaker, Democrats would still be in power. And she would I don't think she would do that because I think she likes being affiliated with the team in power, the team that will be getting things done. She switches to the Republican Party and there's any kind of bill she wants to put forward. Good luck with that. You know, I I think that if the Senate had gone a different way, you would be absolutely right, because you're absolutely right. I think Kirsten Sinema is out for Kirsten Sinema. So if this Senate had ended up 52 um, Republicans, then I think there might be 53 with Ms. Sinema chiming in. We'll see. We'll see how this plays out down the road. You know, the one thing you can say is she can't be much worse. She can't be much worse than she's been going forward. I think she, if, if there's anybody who could be worse going forward, <laughs> it's her. You're probably right, witch. calling my bluff she's on that the, one. She's the wicked witch of the West come to life. Yeah. Uh, George, i got to get to some of these other callers. Thank you so much uh, for calling in and joining our conversation today. Let's go back to the phone lines. Maria is calling in from Chicago. Hello, Maria. How are you today? Hi, Joe. I'm fine. How are you today? I am peachy. (laughs) And I am pissed. Mm. Uh, You know what? In the words of Red Butler, I don't, you know, my dear, I don't give a damn. She made her bed. She is only interested in herself. She's, she is, your analysis is right on, right on point. As the gentleman before, uh, the caller before, she's just about herself. She doesn't care about her constituents. I'm sure the Democrats in Arizona are royally upset with her, and she's not going to make it in 2024. And you know what? Good riddance. Because she doesn't deserve it. She betrayed her constituents. She betrayed the party that got her into that office in the first place. But you know what? Es una ingrata. That's what we say in Spanish. Ungrateful person. And uh, good riddance. You know what? Good riddance. And I hope Schumer keeps her, um, how would you say, uh, her, the leash on her tight. 
Yeah, exactly. That's why I think she uh, was able to negotiate a seat on those committees despite this change in affiliation, because it is Chuck Schumer's uh, power over her. And hopefully, hopefully Chuck Schumer will keep her on a short leash. Mm hmm. Exactly. I agree. So everything that you said and the gentleman before, you know, everything right on point. And uh, she only cares about herself, which is sad because she didn't get there by herself. Mm hmm. Yep. You know? And, and, and I got that. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you. And part of the Washington Post analysis of this today was talking about how, you know, regardless of how people in D.C. feel about this, the Arizona State Democratic Party is teed off. They feel that by doing this, she's giving up a lot of leverage that she could have brought to bear for Arizona. And they've made it um, pretty clear that, you know, that they were that they well, they've already got a candidate, Ruben Gallego is uh, a congressperson who has been one of her main critics and um, is almost certainly going to be on the primary ballot in 2024. You know, the question what people are worried about, though, is there's going to be a Democrat, there's going to be a Republican, and at least theoretically there's going to be Kirsten Sinema. Is if if the, there's speculation that the Republicans will uh, put Carrie Lake on their ballot, the woman who the the insane former newscaster who had got defeated when in her run for governor, but still garnered a lot of votes, has a lot of name recognition. So if all the Republicans vote for Carrie Lake, is Kirsten Cinema going to pull enough votes away from a Democratic candidate that in 2024 the seat in Arizona ends up going Republican? That's the fear. She can still mess well, things up for us. The grassroots that was done, that grassroots work that was done in Georgia, it needs to be repeated in Arizona, in every state in this country, yep. in order to get the best candidate in office. And people would need to be educated. Um, I'll never forget Trump talking about how he loved the uneducated. And I'm really surprised at the level of ignorance of the people in the United States. There are many who are, are aware, they know their civics, they know their government, how it works, the history, but there's too many people who are just plain ignorant. And, you know, I'm going to say it, too many ignorant people voting against their own interests. So, um, yeah, we need to reach these people at the grassroots level. That's where it's got to be done. Maria, thank you so much for the call. We are going to take a break. We are going to be back with more of your calls and the news of the day and the news of the week right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We are taking calls. We're talking about the news of the day. There are other stories I want to get to. I have been talking about Kirsten Cinema, who surprised um, very few people today by announcing that she was no longer a Democrat. Now she is an independent, but she's still going to caucus with the Democrats, and they have agreed to keep her on her committees. Um, yeah, you know, what's the difference? She wasn't that much of a Democrat before. Let's go to the phone lines. We are talking about the news of the day, the news of the week. Let's go to Jim, who is calling in from Chicago. Hello, Jim. How are you? Hi, John. How are you? Let's go for the, for the good news. <laughs> okay. A, there's the good news. We got a great result in the midterm against all odds. Griner got out of the clutches of those sadistic Russians, and Warnock was elected uh, senator. 
which are all good things. So to me, it's hard to outweigh those three. But what struck me the most was the ceremony at the house when the parents of that poor guy that died. Sicknick, Brian Sicknick, the, yeah. yeah. Yes, that gentleman. They ignore the Eminem boys. Uh, uh, <laughs> I like that. Uh, McConnell and McCarthy? Yeah, yeah, the two Eminem boys. Now, where was Pence, which occurs to me, where, why was in Pence there? Because his life was saved directly. But think of it this way. Let's make it a wake. Let's say Brian's parents are there and you're in a position of power and you're an adult. Wouldn't you occur to you to say, let's get to the bottom of this. Uh, you know, we'll get to the bottom of this and find out why your son is being buried and it's our responsibility to never let it happen again. That's what occurs to me. And when they, what got me was when they asked the parents, why did you, why'd you snub those two? I thought it was self-explanatory, but, but I guess we live in a day and age where everything has to be explained, you know, but, mm -hmm. but those two, you'd think they would say, well, we'll get to, you know, especially McCarthy is the new speaker of the house. If he does make it, you think he would say to her, you know, let's, uh, we're going to get to the bottom of this and find out why in God's name that these nuts put this together to begin with. You follow me, Joe? But anyway, yeah. but, but we had good, we had good news. I feel pretty good about the month so far. And you you know, you make weekend. an important point, Jim. We can't forget. We get so wrapped up sometimes in the things that are, um, seem to be going off the rails that we forget about the good things. And there have been tons of good things. You know, President Biden has got a lot done. We didn't lose and there wasn't the red tsunami that everybody thought there was going to be. You know, we have you know, things to point to that are really, really good things. And the economy, the economy is, is starting to straighten out. You notice that inflation yeah. is coming down. Gas prices are as low as they've been in years. Yeah. And we're in record employment. As far as I'm concerned, since I was a kid, if there's if there's uh, Ability to get you know, that many people employed, it's usually a pretty good economy. In other words, you can go at least go out of your house and get a job. Mm -hmm. I think that's fabulous. But I think the economy is going, so those are just a few good things. Anyway, have a good weekend, Joan, and take care. Thank you very much. Bye bye. You too, Jim, and thank you for being a part of our conversation today. Let us go back to the phone lines. We have a lot of people. We are going to get all of your calls in today. Uh, Stephen is calling from Evanston. Hello, Stephen. Thanks for being a part of our conversation today. Hi. Uh, I called because I didn't quite disagree with the cheek. I think the caller's name was George, but then you pretty much articulated uh, what I see this as with cinemas. I think it's a chess move, and she's daring them to primary her because mm -hmm. she probably knows she'll lose the primary to, what's his name, Ruben Gallego, Gallego, yeah, Gallego, Gallego yeah, I think know, it she, is. She, she probably, you know, I mean, if it was held, you know, two years from now or right now, she'd probably lose it, and she would no longer be the Democratic candidate. But she goes, you primary me, and you're going to lose the seat. Exactly. So she's holding it out as hostage. Uh, yeah. you know, and this is, this is how she holds on to a seat where at least they can count her, you know, with, you know, to, to constitute a majority. So, I, I agree with, you know, obviously I agree with you because I think that like uh, some of the other people we've seen in public office, like uh, Trump in a way, I mean, she is all about Kirsten Cinema. So well, what about this yeah. move benefits her? And I think she's looking down the road 
and she has positioned herself to be in a more powerful place when it comes to 2024 and her bid to stay in the Senate. I think exactly that. Do you ever read electoralvote.com, the political website? It's written by two, two poli-sci professors. They're no. both Americans, but one lives, What's in, it called again? One lives in California. Uh, uh, electoralvote.com. It's, it's the best political website I've seen in the last 20 years. And uh, I read it every day, and these two guys, I, I couldn't give you their name off the top of my head, but they're both Americans. One lives in California, the other lives in the Netherlands, and they, they write a commentary, a daily commentary of what's going on in the political scene. And they've pretty much said for months and months and months now that cinema is just basically, you know, she's interested in herself before anything. She's like Trump, you know, me first. Are you sure you got that website right? Because I just tried to look it up, and it says that that website it's, is for sale. No, electoral, it's like electoral-vote.com. Okay. It's there, because okay. I read it this morning. Vote.com. Well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I needed the dash. That was it. That pulled it up. Yeah. Thank you for this. Um, I will, I'm definitely going to bookmark this, and um, 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 maybe we can get one of the people behind this website to come on the radio to show and talk about it with us they're pretty they're pretty good i've these i've been reading these guys since like 2004 or something uh and i i feel more informed with reading them every day than i than i ever did you know uh listening to any media well maybe except your radio station but, uh, <laughs> nice save but you know but but uh yeah, but but they're really good. I mean, I I know you can you would benefit from reading this this website. So. Well, I appreciate this. It also looks like it's got some really interesting charts and graphs. And you know me, I'm a charts and graphs kind of girl. So uh, thank you for this. I appreciate the, the recommendation, Stephen. And I will I will try to um, get a hold of these people. Maybe get somebody on the radio in the next week or two to talk about this. That would be great. And I thank you for the recommendation. Uh, and the okay. phone call. One more, I appreciate both. One more thing. One one more thing. Check your email. I sent you an email a couple of days ago. You'll know what I'm talking about. All right. Okie dokie. I will look for that. Okay. All right. Thank okay, you bye so bye. much. Bye. Okay. Uh, let's go uh, to Bobby, who's calling in from Indiana. Hello, Bob. How are you? Oh, good afternoon, Johnny. Well, good afternoon to I you, too. Been wrong about everything in my life, but I think I think I finally got a winner when I've been telling people we if we didn't get Warnock before long we would have really wished we had, and I think mm-hmm. this is one of those one of those instances. Yes, yes. But, I mean, um, imagine if it were a fifty-fifty Senate and Kirsten Cinema was Kirsten Cinema was making this announcement that she's now an independent. People would be. Um, well, people would be more upset than they are. <laughs> they're, they're frankly pretty upset already. Yeah. Well, um, I got a little something here, and it does affect uh, a certain percentage of us, uh, certainly in the, in the little people. And uh, it could become a problem with our new Congress. Yeah. But... Um, I'll, uh, I'm going to use the words here. It's a very short paragraph. Today's average monthly Social Security check is $1,657. Mm-hmm. 
barely above the federal poverty level of $1,132. Nearly 50% 50 of Americans rely on Social Security for half of their income, and 25% of Americans over 65 rely on Social Security for 90% of their income. Well, uh, I'm 71, and I would say close to 100% of my income comes from Social Security. I've just got the notice of my whopping, uh, what is it, eight point uh, whatever increase is going to put me at uh-huh. come January. And uh, so come January, my monthly uh, check will be $937. And uh, as (laughs) I just read, the poverty level is 1,132. Yeah. And people wonder why senior citizens are working part-time at Walmart and other places. Who can afford to retire anymore? But if if you're disabled, like I am, and uh, that kind of puts a crimp on it. And some people are are worse off both financially and physically. So my wonder and worry is, like so many people, um, when the Republicans in the House come to call to make their cuts on Social Security, Will the Democrats blink? No, they can't afford to blink because of people like you and me who would burn the house down. You try to privatize Social Security, do what Ron Johnson wants and make it renewable every year. What a what a disaster that would be. No, you go after Social Security and we are going to burn your house down. Metaphorically, of course, Bobby, I'm not advocating violence. I know. I know, but, uh, you know, at, at the rate that a lot of us are at, any kind of cut at all would virtually put thousands of people in the grave. And uh, so would, uh, would not only would threaten those thousands of people, but I would say would threaten those thousands of voters because people 55 and older, we vote I know everybody's saying that, you know, young people are coming up. They're voting in greater numbers than ever before. And, yes, that's good. And that's what should happen. But we vote like our lives depend on it, the 55-plus crowd, because we know that they do. Well, that's my that's part of my thinking, that if if they do cuts to that, they, they uh, you know, if uh, if people aren't alive, they can't vote. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, you know, I, there was I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to remember this. There was a, a race. I think it was out in a Western state somewhere. And it was a state that had been very lax with their covid restrictions. And they had had like 10,000 deaths of our demographic, the older folks, people. And, mm-hmm. and there was a, an analyst who said there was a particular race in that state that most of the people who are older in that state were Republicans. 
and yet 10,000 of them died. And this one Republican candidate lost their race by like five five or 6,000 votes. And the argument was if they'd have been better on COVID and kept those people alive, the Republican would have won that race. So they're killing off their own voters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> you, you know darn well they've, they've knocked off more than a few of them in Indiana. <laughs> being Sadly, being yeah. largely a lovely Republican. You know, and I didn't know this, but my uh, representative, who's a Democrat, uh, almost didn't make it. And according to what I heard, that the Democrats have held that seat for something like 90 years or better. Hmm. So uh, we got to watch it. We got to watch it. Yeah, we do. We really do. Um, We have to be a participant in this democracy every, every day, every day, not just between not just at election time. And I say that for myself as much as anybody else, because that's the kind of person I used to be. Yes, I I would read about politics and follow politics, but really only give it my attention when there was an election coming up. And I feel like I'm part of the reason why things slid out of control, because people like me me weren't paying attention. Well, let me tell you something that you and... Tom Hartman and uh, our great crazy Miss Stephanie on this morning do as you uh, give us attention to uh, certain bills and things that are going to be coming up in the uh, in the Senate and the House. And I use that information and sometimes I'll immediately go to the phone and call my representative and say, hey, support this or that or whatever. And you know, I, I thank you for I that, Bobby, because that's, I think, a really important service that we provide because people like Stephanie and Tom and I, you know, this is our job. This is our lifeblood. And we pay a lot of attention to some of the stuff that sometimes is easy to uh, have it slip by. And while we're on this subject, Bobby, let me say that for those of you who live in the state of Illinois, I have tweeted out a link. We need to sign witness slips State Representative Bob Morgan in the veto session this January is has a bill that is going to make an attempt to ban assault weapons and do other really important gun legislation here in the state of Illinois. If he doesn't get it done in the veto session, they have to start from scratch. Next time there is a new legislature, fill out a witness slip. The link to the witness slip is something I have tweeted out. If you follow Indivisible Chicago, today's email not only has the link, but also tells you how to fill it out. Um, we can go over this later, but as, as Bobby said, one of the things that, that is easy for Tom and Stephanie and I to do is point out the things that might slip by you in your daily life. Right now, Bob Morgan needs as many witness slips in favor of this as he can get. Thanks for reminding me, Bobby. Yeah. Would you uh, somehow get something in your legislation over there so that every time a car crosses the line into uh, particularly into Chicago from Indiana, that they have some kind of device at the state line where you can set the car on it and shake it. So all the guns fall out. 
Well, this new bill that he's putting out, Bob Morgan, it would create within the Illinois State Police, it would mandate. He said that a lot of the illegal weapons, it isn't just somebody with a couple of guns in the trunk of their car. He said that they go over and they buy en masse and bring them back in trucks. And there's, there is going to be created a special task force for the Illinois State Police to focus on the problem of illegal guns crossing the state line. Uh, Bobby, i got to take a break. I'm way past my commercial time. Thank you so much for the phone call, though, my friend. Um, We are going to take that break and be back in moments. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Friday, and every Friday we open up the phone lines. We talk about the news of the day. We talk about the news of the week, 773-763-9278. Um, and frankly, we're probably going to keep the phone lines open pretty much uh, at least until 4.30 because Tony Fitzpatrick is going to join me at 3.30, and he loves to take calls. And uh, we will be talking about the Alder races and the mayor's races in addition to the news of the day. So 773 763 WCPT. Please be a part of the conversation. Uh, right now, Ike is calling in from Charleston. Hello, Ike. Thanks for being a part of our conversation today. Yeah, hey, Joan. A little frivolity to begin with. I'm glad to know that you're going to a birthday party for the weekend. <laughs> Did you make sure the measurements of the cake are big enough so you can jump out of it without hurting yourself? <laughs> Why, yes, actually. I've got I've got my party dress all ready for the big reveal. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, well, I thought you would be, uh, you would have another, that would be another good opportunity to use your Catwoman suit, but I guess a dress would be fine. Um, <laughs> and as far as cinema goes, I'm not going to give her the time of day. I'll just say this from Charleston, South Carolina. Cinema, if you take Lindsey Graham and put a blonde wig and a pair of glasses on him, you've got Christian cinema. So, you know, she's just, she's just an attention uh, you know, person, and she's she's not going to have any power like what she thinks she's going to have. But uh, there's something that's been eating me up, and I'm tired of hearing about it. Uh, for all of, all of the uh, Democrats in the audience here, and this is a factoid you need to keep at your fingertips, these cotton-picking Republicans that keep complaining about China and the trade deficit and trade with China and yada, 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 just remind them of something. They normalized trade with China to begin with. They have always wanted to be known as the free traders. They've Mm -hmm. always been the ones that didn't want to have any restrictions on business and let them go and do as they please, which that's what they've been doing. And, uh, you know, just something that will really blow Republicans' mind. Remember this. It wasn't the Democrats that started NAFTA. And it wasn't the Democrats that negotiated NAFTA. And it wasn't the Democrats that ratified NAFTA. That was all Republicans starting with little Ronnie Reagan. Okay? They've always been the free traders, and yet they want to sit here and complain about the business that we do with China. Meanwhile, let's put another bright spot on the the table for my union brothers and sisters out there. 
you just got $36 billion put into the Teamsters Pension Fund to help the uh, retirees continue to have a pension throughout the rest of their lifetimes. And he's going to do more. We, I've been saying this for a long time. The last good Republican president was Eisenhower. The last good, the, the best first always Democrat president was FDR. And if we can return to our roots, which is what I think we're doing under Joe Biden, if we can take this party and take it back to the days of FDR and become the working man and women's party again, like Joe's doing, we are going to have nothing but success after success. So y'all keep working hard. Don't give up on the fight. And remember, you know, just because the midterms got by and we've got a bright spot, we've got to do this for the next two or three or four cycles until we make the Republicans understand that we're not going to put up with fascists. We're not going to put up with their garbage no more. And they need to clean up their act and get rid of that garbage out of their party if they want to be even anywhere near the center of power. Uh, you uh, have just you we should give you a show here because you just you said exactly what we need to do and how we need to do it. And we need to keep up the pressure on, um, you know, the Republican Party, I think, is poised potentially to really tear itself apart. And sadly, I think that needs to happen before it can be reconstituted in a way that most of us would look at and call normal. I think that they had opportunities early on. They could have stood up to Trump, but they didn't want to take the short-term pain. Nobody wanted to put their own office at risk. And so they went along and went along and went along. And now I think the whole party is going to self-destruct before it becomes uh, something that people want to vote for again. I think you're exactly right on this. Exactly Joe, right on we this. Want party pi- we want party pictures from the weekend, okay? <laughs> All righty. I will post them oh, on Instagram. <laughs> See you later, John. Thanks for watching. Thank you. Thank you for this. Uh, thank you for the call, Ike. Um, I want to, uh, I'm not going to take another call because we only, we really only have uh, about a minute. Uh, before we have to break for news of uh, um, the callers who are still waiting, please hang on. We are going to continue this conversation after we come back after the news. And if you uh, would like to jump in, <clears throat> 773-763-9278. And um, what I'm going to do, remember I was telling you a few minutes ago about how we all, everyone who is listening to the sound of my voice in the state of Illinois, I'm begging you, fill out a witness slip in favor of House Bill 5855. We need to ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. And we need to give the Illinois State Police the resources they need to stop the importation, importation, illegal trafficking of guns from the states around us that have much more lax gun laws. What I'm going to do is um, I am going to fill out the witness slip and I am going to try to take a picture of it so that you have some idea. Sometimes these witness slips can be intimidating, you know, uh, what they want when they ask for certain things. I am going to try to take a picture of my witness slip after I have it filled out and I will see if I can get it on 
Twitter or Instagram or both. So you have kind of a, a cheat sheet to look at. Okay, uh, we are going to take a break for news, weather and traffic with the lovely Paul Shivari uh, coming up at the top of the hour. Uh, we're going to be back in addition to what we've talked about today, too. You know, I played some sound from Vicki Hartzler. She's the Republican congresswoman from Missouri that begged her colleagues not to vote in favor of the Defense of Marriage Act because, you know, she was the one who started to cry. Just please be brave enough. Marriage is a man and a woman. Please be brave enough. Uh, Her nephew is gay, and uh, he posted a response on TikTok. I'm going to be sharing that with you as well as taking more calls right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hello, it is Friday. On Friday, we take your calls. We talk about the news of the day. We are going to continue to keep the phone lines open, even uh, in a half hour when uh, Tony Fitzpatrick joins us. So please be a part of our conversation today. 773 763 9278. During the break, while the news was playing, I was able, (laughs) I'm a technical genius, yeah. I was able to do what I promised you I would try to do. I filled out a witness slip for House Bill 5855. That's State Rep Bob Morgan's effort in the veto session to ban assault weapons, ban high-capacity magazines, give the Illinois State Police the support and the resources they need to keep illegal guns from flooding Illinois. It does a lot more than that. It's a good thing. And we need to get everybody within the sound of my voice who is living in the state of Illinois to fill out one of these slips. They have to be in by, I believe it's Monday at 10 or 11 in the morning. So you can do it this weekend on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Joan Esposito CHI. I put out a tweet that has the link to the witness slip page. And I just, you know, the first part of it is like your name and your address. I'm guessing you're good with that. The second part is what you put the way you fill it out to show your support that you are indeed a proponent of this legislation. So if you're, um, you know, the language is sometimes not user-friendly for these things. You're like, well, what do they mean by that? Well, I have pinned, I took a picture of my witness slip. I posted it on Twitter and I pinned it. What does that mean? If you're not familiar with the Twitter lingo, it means you go to Twitter, you click on my picture and my Tweets show up, and the picture of how I filled out the witness slip will be at the top of all of my tweets. No matter how many other tweets I shoot out for the the rest of the weekend, the picture of my witness slip was locked into the top. So find find the tweet of mine that gives you the link. Or if you're, if you get the emails from Indivisible Chicago, they also walk you through it, give you the link and tell you how to answer each and every question. There's lots of ways to do it. We need to get 10,000 witness slips by Monday morning. We can do it. 
It's real easy to do. It Honestly, it takes two minutes. Please, please, please get that done. Let's go back to the phone lines to uh, talk about the news of the day. Let's go to our good friend Roosevelt, who is on the line. Hey, Roosevelt, how are you? John, how you doing? Thank you for taking my call. Thank before you. I, before I say anything, have a have a nice weekend. You too, Roosevelt. Um, um, okay, uh, I knew there was something funny about Meghan McCain uh, liking um, Christian cinema. I believe they're friends, and so I cannot help but to think that Meghan McCain is no John McCain. Yeah, and really. I and I kind of, because I, I never missed the view. And I kind of remember her getting it into it with uh, uh, one of my favorite girls, uh, Joy Behar. It's three, I have three favorite Italian-American ladies that I, I truly love. Pelosi, you, and Joy Behar. Because <laughs> she, as bombastic as she is, she tells it like it is. So yeah, She does. She always, so she always took it to task and kind of insinuated, I'm talking about Joe Behart, that she was a Trump supporter. I'm talking about Meghan McCain now. So this generation of um, these political people that are uh, grand, grandkids or kids of the are not their parents. Let me give you another example. Uh, George Prescott Bush supported Trump after all the stuff that Trump said about his grandmother. Uh, I don't know if you guys can follow me on what I'm saying. And after all of the stuff that, that Trump said about his own dad. So I can't help but to think that who is involved here and has a little bit of a finger on this is Meghan McCain's uh, husband, Ben hmm. Dominic. Yeah, yeah. And he is, I believe he's a blogger, editor and all that. And he has a show called The Federalist Radio Hour. And he has... Um, he publishes uh, the Federalist, so I can't help but to think that she, that Christian uh, cinema is being influenced by the uh, next generation of Meghan McCain. And I don't think McCain was too happy that Arizona turned into—that's her home state—that that turned into a turned into a Democratic uh, senator. Yeah, it flipped over her own dad. I don't think she was happy with that. And and so I think that. They were they very influenced in her, in my opinion, in my opinion, because let's face it, you know, Megan McCain. And I believe the, the interview she interviewed her when she won the first time, the first round in Arizona. She was giddy. Megan McCain go, there's something wrong with this picture. Megan yeah. McCain was giddy about a Democrat, you know. So when does that ever happen when she? Yeah, was really? Movie? Yeah, that so, should have been our first red flag, huh? Yeah. So so, you know. That that's a part of it. And here's another. Here's a question that nobody's brought up. She ran as a Democrat, and as soon as she won, she flips into independent. How is that right? How is yeah. that honest with her constituents, with the people back that voted for her back in Arizona? You know, that's why the Democratic Party is so in in Arizona is so furious with her. But I think that this is a woman who, by all accounts, two years ago. Or maybe even three years ago when when Trump was still in power, her supposedly her inner circle was telling her, you know, um, be a maverick, vote against Joe Biden and you'll be a nice compromise candidate for president in 2024. That was the story that came out that supposedly her inner circle was telling her. 
Well, I think that morphed into the fact that she has alienated so many people in Arizona, so many voters. I think she knew she was going to face a primary challenge in the Democratic Party, and she knew that there was an excellent chance that she was going to lose for the reasons that you just said. She turned her back on everybody. And I think that this becoming an independent is her desperate attempt to try to stay in the Senate. We'll see how it plays out. Yeah, but her aspirations of uh, running for president, I don't think, are there anymore. I don't think it because of the fact that she showed her true colors, which, yeah. you know, she, you know, she was in it for, for she's in it for the money and for herself. She's a selfish person and just, you know. Certainly no seems that way, doesn't it? No, no different than Trump. And and now let me say, let me ask you a question. Oh, um, what at the top of the hour? Not this top of the hour. The last one, because I've been on the phone for almost an hour. You guys mentioned something uh, during the news break, something to do with Trump that he did something on with trade, something illegal. But I can't remember what it was. I caught the tail end of it, and I, for the life of me, I can't think of it. Something to do with trade. I don't know if it was with China or what what it was, but um, I don't know if you guys. Uh, um, I, I didn't. I didn't hear that because I was um, working on my witness slip. But I do know that the DOJ made big news yesterday because they are going after what is described as the Trump office. Basically, they are going after the Trump lawyers for obstructing them in trying to get these documents back. It, and that was, um, I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but it wasn't against Donald Trump himself. But, you no. know, there was that uh, female lawyer who was at Mar-a-Lago and and there have been a couple of lawyers who've, um, you know, been working with the DOJ. Supposedly the most recent Trump lawyer said, oh, well, we looked at um, Trump Tower, New York, and we looked in Bedminster and there aren't any documents there. But the Department of Justice says that they have been stalled, that they have been lied to and uh, they are going after these lawyers who are representing Trump on this issue they're going after them for contempt yeah no I it, uh, Joan I think it was during the two o'clock uh, news break and it had something to do with trade but I, I'll I'll dig it back in and I'll text you something about it because okay. it was something that he, something that he did illegal well there was no surprise there with the, doing anything yeah. illegal but Thank uh, you, Roosevelt so, Thank you very much, and have a nice weekend. Bye-bye. You too. Uh, We are going to take a break right now. We're going to be back with more calls right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Uh, Roosevelt was just on the phone with us talking about something that had been in the news about Trump, and I think Andy Miles, uh, who works at WCPT with me every Tuesday, uh, sent me a link and he suspects this might be it. Uh, the World Trade Organization ruled that former President Donald Trump violated global trade rules back in 2018 when he said because of national security, we had to put tariffs on steel and aluminum products that we imported from other countries. So I think guessing that might be what Roosevelt was talking about. Thank you for that, Andy. I really appreciate it. It was a World Trade Organization ruling. And by the way, interestingly, uh, the Biden administration is uh, siding with Trump on this. They think that the World Trade Organization made a bad call here. 
So uh, this will be a story that we will continue uh, to follow. Okay, let's go back to the phone lines. Ron is calling in from Chicago. Hello, Ron. Hello. Uh, in the uh, state of Arizona, on January 1st, there will, there will be 700 houses that will have their water supply shut off permanently because of the drought, global warming. So stories like this are going to be very common in years to come. That doesn't seem like it would be legal. Well, I don't know. That's that's I heard. That's what I heard on the news. They amazing. They're very uh, well upscale houses too. They're not uh, low income houses. So. Well, you know, we are seeing incredible drought. I mean, we've all seen the pictures. Um, Lake Mead. Um, some of the waterways that feed our dams. Um, the stuff is uh, rivers. Just. I um last winter yeah drove uh I was uh, on a cross country trip and we drove in part by the Colorado River which is so uh, incredibly low uh how people can you know we see the extreme fires the extreme heat the extreme drought in other countries Pakistan we see extreme flooding how anybody could look at all of this you know, extreme weather and not wonder where it's coming from is um, is beyond me. I just, uh, I hope this doesn't get any worse. I hope we can figure out some ways to make this better. We're pretty in, in, in you know, inventive that way. I'm hoping that somebody can come up with a, a solution. You know, well, they can turn salt water to fresh water, but it's really expensive. So maybe. Yeah, sadly, it is. It's a... It's a difficult process that would, uh, would, if we could just figure out a way to do it quickly and cheaply and in quantity, but not yet. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate that. Uh, Let's go to our good friend Steve, who is calling in from the Gold Coast. Hey, Steve, how are you today? Fine, thank you. And uh, you raised the issue of, of the mayoral election and automatic elections, and I'm, I'm calling about a procedural issue. I, I really do think we need to discuss exactly when we have these elections, because as it turns out in Chicago, you know, we, we come off a presidential election cycle, then we go to midterms, and then all of a sudden we ask people to show up, oh, by the way, um, after you've done with that, if you haven't had your share of politics, uh, you need to show up and, to vote for the mayoral election and, and all dramatic elections. And by the way, it, it, in all likelihood, no one's going to get enough to meet the threshold. So you'll have to show up again. So, I mean, we've got to figure out a way to sort of fold these into existing election cycles so that you can vote for the congressman at the same time that you vote for the mayor or have it during a presidential election cycle. But, you know, there's a point at which people are so fatigued with politics that they're just like, okay, I'm done. Well, uh, you know, Steve, what about if we approached it from the other direction? Let's say the first or second Tuesday of every month we would go to the polls and just get people yeah. in the habit of doing it every month or making it a Saturday so more people can vote without having to take off work. Um, I think that would yeah. be, you know, and, and let's just normalize it. The second Saturday of every month we vote. What are we voting on this month? Well, let's see. And just, you know, get into the habit, especially what drives me crazy is it's not even just that there's we feel like we're being hit by these, but they're all all over the place. So oh, this one's on the second Tuesday. Uh, this one's on the final Wednesday of the month. Oh, now we're going to vote on Thursday. 
I can't keep track yeah. of all this, Steve. I get very confused. Exactly. Tell me exactly. one day of the month to vote, and I'll be there. Exactly. And we do this for a living. So I don't blame people who don't follow politics very much or, or actually have a life. They have children to raise. They have jobs, maybe two jobs. Are you implying, yeah, Steve, that you know, and I do not have a life? Well, we actually get paid to do something we love, so there's a difference. But, <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, All right. I'll buy that. And, and then the, the second issue, I mean, I, I, I do agree that what we need is better trade deals, but I'm not a, one of these people on the progressive side that is against, you know, trade. Uh, I, I think that there are certain things that we are beyond in terms of producing in a, in a country such as the United States. Uh, we don't need the sweat sock industry in America. We don't need people in giant factories making sweat socks. We can export that to, to someone else, and we can make things that they need here. And everybody can come out ahead. And the other advantage of trade is that, you know, and it, it does hold true. Nations that trade with each other and make a lot of money for especially those at the top, you know, don't tend to shoot at each other because you can't sell a lot of iPhones and plasma TVs and, and, and OLEDs to people who are in the middle of a war. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of incentive to keep, you know, keep the peace when you're trading with other countries. So I, I don't want to make it sound like sometimes, you know, we're, we want to denounce trade just because that we're not happy with certain elements of trade deals that we've entered into. Yes, that's true. And, and if, for instance, the, the TPP and so forth, uh, uh, the, the progressive answer to that was it's not what, uh, exactly what we want, so we're not going to be a part of it, meaning that we're not going to have any say in it any longer. It's still going to exist, but then uh, anything with regard to environmental issues, to labor costs, to exploitation of workers, all of these, we no longer have a say because you decided you don't want to be a part of that. The deal is still going to exist it's going, because we're not the world economy. And other countries are still going to enter into these agreements. But so, you know, the, this is one of those instances where the perfect becomes the enemy of the good. Uh, and I think we should fight for fair trade. But this idea that, you know, that NAFTA is entirely bad. And no, I, I don't subscribe to that. There are elements of NAFTA that could have been better. But, you know, inter, international trade, again, has a lot of benefits. And so we need to recognize it's far more complex than good or bad. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, but, you know, that was the whole idea between um, making Russia's economy dependent on things like selling oil and natural gas. You know, this one big world, uh, our connections with China, getting our iPhones from China that were supposed to be deterrence from bad behavior and making us so interdependent that we couldn't go to war. And um didn't quite hold the way we'd hoped. It, certainly not well, with yeah, Vladimir it, it Putin. It wasn't perfect. Yeah. Right, exactly, because yeah, it, it, when, you, when you have a tyrant in charge, uh, the oligarchs who are profiting from the trade that we're talking about aren't in charge. A lot of them would lo love to see him out of power, and that's what he fears most, which is why a lot of them end up dead or in prison, not mysteriously. Uh, so uh, it works, but you know, it's got to, it means that you've got to actually have those people who are part of the trade process with a voice. With Vladimir Putin's policy is uh, anybody who opposes me, um, no matter what rationale they use, they're going to disappear one way or yeah. another. So, yeah, or throw themselves out a window. Together. Right, exactly. But I mean, I will say that at least, you know, I mean, we're not at war with Russia. We're not at war with China. So, you know, I think you can argue that it works to some degree. It has been effective. We are still trading with with China. Um, it doesn't mean that we'll never go to war. No, but I think that when the Chinese uh, calculate these sorts of things and ask themselves where our interests lie and uh, what, what's on one side of the equation versus the other, 
yes, their their economy is based on the exportation of what they produce. It's countries like the United States. And uh, that's part of their equation. You know, if you go to war with the United States, who are you going to sell to? I mean, uh-huh. who, who's going to who's going to who's going to be in those factories that are occupied by a hundred million Chinese doing uh, doing the labor that we've exported to them? If you're not, you can't sell that stuff. What's going to happen to those people? You can't pay them. They're going to be in the streets. And yep. that's the other re- uh, reason that the Chinese worry is that what happens when a few hundred million people you know decide to take to the streets because they're unhappy? Yeah. Um- Steve, thank you so much for the call. We have to, we're up against a, a commercial break here. Um, by the way, uh, for those of you who are on the phone lines, stay there because we are going to take all of your calls. I am going to be joined by the lovely and talented Tony Fitzpatrick when we come back after this, but he loves to talk to callers too. So let's get to the break and we'll be back with more. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I am joined for this portion of our program by Tony Fitzpatrick, a Chicago artist, poet, actor. Let's see. How many other titles do you have, Tony? Uh, author. Anything, Go ahead. That I'll do anything to avoid honest work. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, general <laughs> avoider of honest work, Tony Fitzpatrick, and longtime Chicagoan. We have been talking about a lot of things, and we've got a couple of callers uh, who are going to join our conversation in a second. But uh, in in 30 seconds or less, give me your take on the whole Kirsten Cinema. I'm an independent, not a Democrat anymore. Well, I think the whole Democratic Party is like, oh, boo-hoo. I think they're <laughs> glad to be... You know, she, at this point, she will be much more of a thorn in the side of the Republicans than she will for us. You know what I yeah. mean? Well, I think um, that Chuck Schumer was smart to, to uh, promise her that he she could continue on the committees because that's his po- that's his power. Oh, Kirsten, I'm sorry, you're going to vote with us on this. You know, I've been rethinking this committee. Maybe you're not really the right person for it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Kirsten Cinema, it's like having a pet rattlesnake. Every day you wake up, you just hope that the rattlesnake's still on your side. Mm-hmm. And this is the way with Joe Manchin. Um, they are absolutely Democrats in name only, and they've been uh, nothing but um, nothing but an absolute hindrance uh, to the party for the last four years. Um, you know, I mean, the good news is, is you know, Reverend Warnock won. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think people. I think we're finally at the tipping point with the idiot vote. And I think it's really motivated, particularly people in our party, uh, to participate. Freedom demands participation. And uh, I think, if anything, the last seven or eight years have taught us, it's that. Um, You know, that said, uh, you're going to get the Kristen Cinemas, uh, whatever the hell their name is, (laughs) <laughs> the Joe Manchin, you're going to get the contrarians. They're always going to be part of this equation because it's a democracy. And, mm-hmm. you know, blessedly, though, it's a democracy. Uh, but you always get people who just want attention and will do anything to get it. Yeah. And I think she's the poster child that exemplifies that. 
Um, you look up a uh, attention seeker in the dictionary and her picture is right there front and center. And, you know, I mean, for somebody, what's galling is that for somebody who had apparently, maybe she never did. Maybe being a part of the Green Party was just what she saw as the fastest way to power. Maybe she never really shared those ideals. But how you go from that to being um, bought by big pharma and big corporations, that just doesn't. That just doesn't make sense to me. I have to believe that she never really believed the values that she espoused in the beginning of her career, that maybe she just saw it as a means to an end because she doesn't seem to be. I mean, she's like she's like the Kevin McCarthy's and the Lindsey Graham's of the world where they wake up and they try to figure out which way the wind is blowing before they say anything or do anything. They're merely interested in power, Joan. Yep, absolutely. Um, in the best hands, it, it is absolutely a beautiful thing, you know. Um, in the hands of a statesman, it is a uh, a beam of light. In the hands of somebody like uh, Donald Trump or Kirsten Cinema or Joe Manchin, it merely erodes them mm-hmm. and reveals the person that was there all along. Absolutely, you can't. When you're in the public eye all the time, people would would sometimes when I was on television, they would say, you know, what is so and so really like? And if especially if it was an anchor, I said, you know, you cannot be in front of people every day, day in and day out and pretend to be something you're not. Sooner or later, the the facade cracks. Sooner or later, you reveal yourself. Absolutely. We've seen that, particularly in Chicago media. Eventually. You know, eventually they show their ass. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> they, they get revealed for what they are. Um, and, and, I mean, you know, there have been plenty of absolutely marvelous people in Chicago media. Um, you know, I mean, I think of Dick Kay. I think of oh, John yeah. Calloway. You know, I mean, they were the gold standard. Um, but every once in a while you get people who are less admirable. And Every once in a while, you do. The thing they're attracted to is getting attention. Um, yep. Carol Marine tells a great story of she went out to years ago to speak to, I don't know whether this was grade schoolers or middle schoolers or high schoolers, um, but somebody uh, raised a, a girl raised their hand and said, you know, oh, I want to be an anchor. And Carol was like, well, do you really like and love information? Because that's what the job's about. And, you know, digging up information and reporting information. And the whoever this young woman was, she apparently sat and thought about it for a while. And then she decided that she would rather be a beauty queen. She would rather. <laughs> and I thought, oh, God. There you go. There you go. That's a story. Friends, but I don't think it's going to happen. I got a mirror, you know. <laughs> hey, Tony, um, we should probably get to some of these callers, if you don't mind. Uh, Stephen is calling in from Mountain View, California, to talk about the news of the day. Hey, Stephen, you're on with me and Tony Fitzpatrick. How are you? And thanks for calling. Oh, sure. Hi, guys. How are you? We're good. 
So I just wanted to let you know you do have callers on the West Coast. I listen every day. <laughs> well, thank and you. I just enjoy it a lot. <clears throat> enjoy it a lot. And as far as Megan McCain goes, she's married to the guy who puts out the Federalist paper and had some dumb program about the Federalists, whatever. And didn't they just give us the Supreme Court? They did indeed give us that gift that keeps so, giving. Nothing more to say. Nothing more to say there. And I want Nancy Pelosi to get the highest honor we can give her because I think she showed beyond anyone else grace under pressure in the last months. She absolutely did. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that um, extreme grace. Yes. Yes. I think uh, I, I think a medal of, of honor would not be out of the question for Nancy Pelosi. If for no other reason, those the video we saw of behind the scenes the day the Capitol was attacked and how she maintained a cool head and was trying to get resources and get, you know, um, reinforcements sent over. Yay, Nancy. That's what I say. Absolutely. And you know what? Uh, Go ahead. Nash spotted his shorts and ran away. Miss um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Pelosi just has been an honorable person ever since she's been in public life. And considering sure. what she is um, with her husband being attacked, um, you know, I mean, a lot of other people would have uh, walked away, and yeah. she didn't. And, you know, and because of her and Chuck Schumer and the, the same, you know, uh, people in in the Senate, we've protected the Marriage Act, Defensive Marriage Act. I mean, um, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, believe me, that's not a small thing during what's going on right now. No, no it absolutely isn't. Saint, but I'll, I'll settle for some big award because God knows she <laughs> deserves it. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Let's start. Uh, Stephen, you, me, Tony, we're going to start the campaign. She's years old. She, I already contacted my local rep. She's 80 years old. Yeah. Think of that. She's Unbelievable. Amazing. She is amazing. Thank you so much, guys. I listen every day. Well, we appreciate that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that, Stephen, and I hope that you will call in again. Um, uh, really nice Thank talking you. to you. Um, you know, we uh, we do have more calls to take, Tony, but uh, based on something Stephen just said and you just said when we were talking about how she shepherded the Defense of Marriage Act through Congress, we're going to take yeah. a break. When we come back, I don't know if you heard that soundbite Republican Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler from Missouri, before the vote was taken, uh, took to the floor and was crying and begging her colleagues not to vote for the Defense of Marriage Act, that what a terrible thing it was and how she and she stood there and she sobbed. Her nephew, her nephew is gay, Tony. Her nephew is a is a gay man. And um, he has uh, recorded, he recorded a TikTok response to his aunt. We're going to play that and take more calls when we come right back after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. 
It is Friday. We're talking about the news of the day. We are taking your calls. I am joined by Tony Fitzpatrick. Right before we went to break, we were talking about Nancy Pelosi and how great she is and how we agree with Stephen from Mountain View, California, that she needs this nation's highest honor. One of the last bills that she shepherded to completion was the Defense of Marriage Act. And before that vote was taken, Republican Congresswoman from Missouri, Vicki Hartzler, went on, um, spoke to her colleagues, went on the mic and was talking about how marriage was between a man and a woman and couldn't her colleagues please be brave enough. And she started to sob, please be brave enough to just do the right thing. I'm sorry, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much. Anyway, (laughs) her nephew, Andrew Hartzler, is gay. He has come out to her. He has come out to the family. He um, he is on TikTok and he posted a rebuttal or a response. Let's not say a rebuttal. Let's say a response to his aunt on this measure and I thought, you know what? He was nailed it. Uh, listen to this right now. Today, a United States Congresswoman, my Aunt Vicky, started crying because gay people like me can get married. I hope and pray that my colleagues will find the courage to join me in opposing this misguided and this dangerous bill. And I yield back. So despite coming out to my aunt this past February, I guess she's still just as much as a homophobe. Let's be clear. Obergefell is not in danger, but people and institutions of faith are. Aunt Vicky, that's not right. Institutions of faith like religious universities are not being silenced. They're being empowered by the U.S. government to discriminate against tens of thousands of LGBTQ students because of religious exemptions, but they still receive federal funding. The bill's implications submit to our ideology or be silenced. It's more like you want the power to force your religious beliefs onto everyone else. And because you don't have that power, you feel like you're being silenced, but you're not. You're just gonna have to learn to coexist with all of us. And I'm sure it's not that hard. Well, it shouldn't be that hard. Um, This always amazes me. You get these people who are so dead set against homosexuality and all of a sudden, whoops, our son, our daughter, our niece, our nephew, our aunt, our uncle. Now, all of a sudden, they're LGBTQ. Well, this can't be. Everybody who is listening to Tony and me right now Every single one of you has relatives, friends, and colleagues who are gay, okay? Yep. And you know what? What do you care if somebody's gay or not? I I can never figure that out. I can never see what's in it for people. Oh, I don't like that they're gay. How does it affect your life at all? I don't get it. You know, I don't get why people... uh, you know, care about what anyone else's sexuality is about. Well, who cares who who you love? I don't care who somebody loves. I, I you know, Joan. Nobody ever got their nose broken minding their own business. You know, <laughs> it just 
<laughs> yeah. And, you know, you know darn well, um, Obergefell, or however you say that guy's name, the Supreme Court is going to go after that, and they are going to strike it down. And then we are going to see state by state the kind of chaos that we have seen surrounding abortion. And what does that mean? Like, let's say uh, they strike down that decision, which they've already indicated. Uh, they believe that that decision was based on the same reasoning as Roe, and they already struck that down. So what does that mean? Let's say you're Missouri, and let's say on the basis of the Supreme Court, you pass all these anti-gay laws, and then you need money from the Department of Transportation. You think Pete Buttigieg and his husband are going to come knocking on your door and say, oh, Missouri, yes, I know you think that my very existence should be a crime, but hey, you know, here's some money for your roads. Nah, I don't think so. I, I honestly, uh, I, I honestly believe that uh, the, the the trend with states banning abortion, it's going to turn around. Believe me. Um, you know, I've, I've told many friends. You know, if somebody from a state who, you know, may, has uh, a woman's right to choose being illegal right now. Um, Come to Illinois. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I think that, say. I don't know if we've talked about this, but I, I have mentioned on the air, you know, when we were younger, well, I'm a little older than you, and I was at the tail end of this, so you probably missed it. But Vietnam, we saw um, people from our high schools being drafted and sent to Vietnam. And it t- it motivated us because it was a huge political issue that affected us. And I think Roe v. Wade is that for the current 20-somethings and 30-somethings, which in the midterms voted in record numbers. And if you don't think that was because of Roe v. Wade, I think that you're um, not paying attention the way you should be. Because it's changing their lives. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're not going to let you old farts change the way we live our lives. We're going to get out there and vote and vote you out of office and take back control. And it's about damn time. Absolutely. And you know what? For once, uh, the attendant apathy that was there for so long is eroding. I mean, people are going out and voting. Um, I I made it a point to, you know, I, I recently moved. And I made it a point to figure out exactly where my new polling place was. And this, the deal was, is it's the same as my old polling place. But uh, I went on Election Day uh, and I voted. You know, I mean, it's a very powerful thing. Um, you know, years ago, I visited uh, Haiti, where people were sometimes discouraged from voting and terrorized into not voting and, and stuff. We take it for granted what an extraordinary privilege it is. Um, and, 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 and the fact that other people in other countries die for this right. Um, if, if somebody tells me they haven't voted, I don't want to hear another one of their opinions. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, you, you didn't vote and you have political opinions? Shut the hell up. Yep. I don't, you know, I don't want a single thing you have to say unless you participate in the process, unless you participate in democracy. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree. That's the bottom line. You can talk all you want. You can um, write op-eds all you want. 
But if you don't get a, a ballot and fill it out, whether it's an early ballot, a mail-in ballot, a same-day ballot, an electronic ballot, I don't care. But that's what gives you the right to have an opinion. And you don't vote? Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't want to hear from you. Absolutely. You um, know, I, my father I, says, my dad used to say opinions are like uh, anal orifices. Everybody's <laughs> got one in that guy's stand. <laughs> Well, uh, speaking of opinions, we uh, have Earl calling in from uh, Hyde Park to join our conversation today about the news of the day and the news of the week. Earl, you're on with me and Tony Fitzpatrick. Go ahead. Uh, Well, I was sitting here laying back and uh, enjoying your two conversations. So um, (laughs) uh, the reason I called in today is because I wanted to, you know, I try to address this problem with uh, conflict resolution, guns, and uh, the mindset of the right that uh, we need to have these automatic weapons to protect from a dictatorial government that's going to come after them and take away their rights. But the hypocrisy I see in that is that they want to be able to enjoy whatever rights they see, but they want to limit my right to vote, to exist, to uh, be able to participate in the American dream. Uh, they want to uh, limit my uh, capacity and my many of my brothers and sisters from fulfilling the kind of uh, lifestyle that they have and the lifestyle that they want as far as home, educating their children, uh, find good paying jobs, you know, and going on, going on and uh, become good American citizens. Uh, we just have a problem here where the right has worked real hard to take civics out of school, out of the mm-hmm. classroom. So we have a uh illiterate uh population that has uh, not really a full understanding about what our government should be, what it was based on, and how we can try to make it a more perfect union mm-hmm. and uh, I just don't uh have the faith that some of the other commentators on this station believe in uh, that we'll be able to strive and overcome and reach those goals somewhere down the line. Uh, Then I'm going to just add this one last thing to it. I agree with what you said about cinema, and uh, I'm not going to spend more time on that because you've done a wonderful job explaining your position on that. And you too, Tony. But uh, I'm just not as sure that we will reach this more perfect union because my people have been persecuted for over 400 years. And there's still various segments of the society that view us as less than. Uh, We don't have the right to enjoy the same types of freedom that they have or earn the amount of money that they earn and uh they should be always be first in line 
Mm-hmm. So that was the contribution I wanted to make today. And I well, hope thank that- you for that, Earl. I, uh, I appreciate sir. that. And, um, you know, I think that there, there is a reckoning coming. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to remember the date, but within the next, like, um, 20 or 30 years, um, we, uh, those of us who identify as white are going to be the minority and black and brown people are going to be in the majority. And I think like you look at a state like Georgia and I think what you are seeing is the desperate white effort to hang on to what has long been a white power structure. And that is why when, you know, the Republicans particularly have come to represent this, this last gasp of white power. And they realized some time ago that they can't win the hearts and minds of some of the uh, black and brown voters. So we'll go at it the other way. We'll knock them off the voting rolls and we'll close all the polling places and we'll make it illegal to um, bring somebody a bottle of water, even if they've been in line for an hour or more. And I really do think it is like it. These are like last gasp measures to hang on to the white power structure. This well, John, I'm a, uh, yeah, on that okay. Point, I, Thanks, uh, Earl. Quickly, so you can go ahead on. Uh, the only problem with your vision, I think, is that each and every year we have more and more members of these persecuted communities who have ability to see themselves as white and classify themselves as white, and so they persecute other people of color. Yeah. And a minority. So, so that's a problem there. But thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling, Earl. And Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to both of you and season's greetings. Thank you very much. Uh, Tony and I need to take a break for uh, news, but we will be back uh, right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm joined by Tony Fitzpatrick. We are taking your calls and talking about the news of the day, but I want to share something. Uh, Illinois uh, State Senator Scott Bennett, uh, his family announced that he had been uh, like a day or two ago rushed to the hospital. Um, Everybody was, you know, wishing him well. Uh, The kind of thing that happens didn't really give it too much attention. But he has died 45 years old leaves behind a wife and children um a death was confirmed today at um 115 at carl hospital um senator scott bennett um an outpouring of Thoughts and prayers and consolation for his family. Probably one of the most heartfelt statements came from controller Susanna Mendoza. This is a heartbreaking and tragic loss for his wife and children. Plus, it's an immeasurable loss for the state Senate and the state of Illinois. He was a beloved colleague. I had the honor and pleasure of working with him on uh, recent discussions to increase awareness of autism. He's going to be remembered for his warmth and wit. Not only was he one of the kindest legislators, but one of the most effective. Um, State Senator 
Scott Bennett passing suddenly after a very brief illness at the age of 45 years old. Um, Whoa. I know, Tony. Um, I, you know, you know it's really terrifying. Much, uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I confess I don't know a lot about uh, State Senator uh, Bennett. Um, well, he he represented he, the downstate area. So, you know, he was um, yeah. kind of in the Champaign-Urbana area. So it wasn't like he was somebody who was in the news cycle in Chicago all the time. Um, but, you know, I mean, you see these things, as you know, I mean, doing a show like this, you peruse what's going on and, you know, somebody's yeah. been hospitalized and, you know, you don't think too much of it, particularly at that age. And then all of a sudden, um, good grief. Did they say what uh, Senator died of? No. Uh, when, I, when I first saw the notice, it was like he was in the early morning hours. He was rushed to the hospital and, you know, his family hadn't really made any kind of a statement. So uh, who knows? Yeah, as you know, far as I know, he was not ill with any um, cancer or any um, other kind of affliction that he was battling. So whatever this was, it happened uh, very, very quickly. You know, Joan, you're seeing. A oh, great Paul, deal. Paul Shavari was digging. Uh, Paul Shavari back at the studio uh, did a little digging. And apparently he had a, an, a a really large brain tumor. I wonder if if it had if he had been in treatment for it, because certainly there was nothing that the family released publicly about him being in treatment. Good God. Life is uh, sometimes very short. You know, you think that you've got forever and you think that, you know, what you're going to do tomorrow and next week and five years down the road and 10 years down the road. And it something like this happens and you realize kind of how silly that is. Um, it's not that people shouldn't make plans, but <laughs> as you know and I know, nothing is guaranteed as we've both had a couple of pretty bad health scares that could have been the end of us. Amen. I had, you know, a quadruple bypass seven years ago and, uh, you know, very easily could have died. I had a post-operative infection and, um, you know, I, I am grateful every day for medical science and the physicians that restored me to life. Um, yeah. Um, and you notice a, a great deal more. Uh, heart attacks lately among people who are in their 40s and even 30s. Um, I don't know if this is since the pandemic, but uh, you've seen a great deal more uh, kind of heart disease and heart attacks among younger people, which kind of freaks me out, you know? Yeah, it really does. And I mean, our best friend in the whole world, Lynn Bramer, who is... Back on middays at XRT, took time off for his treatment for metastatic prostate cancer. But I saw a post where he was talking about his journey, and I didn't realize this, but shortly after he started chemo, he had a lung infection that put him in ICU. And, I mean, he was literally, they weren't sure if he was going to make it for a few days. Yeah, Yeah, and he he also had... He had to have a metal rod inserted into a bone in his leg. Mm. Um, it, it, his cancer had uh, acted upon 
you know, uh, other parts of his body. Um, and, you know, he's fighting a tooth and nail, I mean, which is, you know, just incredibly admirable. Uh, but, yeah, he's had a real journey, you know. Um, you know, I talk to him here and there on Messenger, and, you know, we all want to go and see him, but uh, we have to be, you know, especially cognizant of his immune system, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be and kill Bramer, you know, I mean. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would be bad, he, Tony. He's been my dear friend for a very long time, and uh, I am not ready uh, to uh, live in a world without Lynn Bramer, man. He's just yeah. as good as a, um, one of the most decent people who has ever worked in our business, you know. That he so. is, that he is. So, um, Tony and I are circling around back. Uh, Illinois State Senator Scott Bennett, 45 years old, um, has passed away. Pretty much anybody who's ever had any contact with him in the work world is there's this outpouring of, of grief on behalf of this guy who was a Democrat, apparently a really good guy, as well as being a really good legislator. Um, Tony and I are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to go back to politics. Uh, we're going to go back to the phone lines and uh, and talk a little bit more about the kind of stuff that you're used to us talking about right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I am joined by Tony Fitzpatrick. We are talking about the news of the day. We are taking calls. We've been talking about Kirsten Cinema, who announced this morning that she's not a Democrat anymore. She's an independent. We've also been talking about the Defense of Marriage Act, which was Nancy Pelosi's last legislation as head of the Democratic Party. Um, let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Laura is calling in from Crown Point, Indiana. Hey, Laura, you're on with me and Tony Fitzpatrick. Yeah, hi, Joan. Um, I know you probably talked about Kirsten at the beginning of your show, but I just got in my car like a half an hour ago. But I listened to Raphael Warnock the other night in his victory speech, and I was moved by the fact fact that he said the people have spoken. And all I could think about when I heard that Kirsten Sinema changed parties was some wealthy Republican donor must have dropped a bunch of Benjamins in her her savings (laughs) account. Because I can think of no other reason for her to throw a wrench in the work other than a a monetary um, motivation for that. It's just unbelievable to me, and I'm outraged that we can't, that there's no recourse to that. After pushing Raphael Warnock over the finish line, she comes in and kind of screws things up for for the, the people of the country that wanted to see Warnock win that seat. And that's all I got to say about that. Thank you. You're you're very welcome, Laura. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, Tony and I were talking about that. I think, Tony, the bottom line is that this is a move Kirsten Cinema is making because uh, her political future is really in jeopardy. And I think she's trying to save her her uh, her seat in the Senate in any way she can, because she knows that the Democratic Party in Arizona is really teed off at her. And I think that. I think that as long as she wants to be a player and on committees and Chuck Schumer has the power that I think that I don't let's put it this way. I don't think she's going to be too much worse than she has been. And she's already been 
unreliable and horrible when they really need her. So, you know, you know, I guess it's better than her being officially a Republican. Yeah, I mean, this does not diminish Raphael Warnock's victory. I mean, you couldn't count on Kirsten Cinema um, for the last four years. Uh, mm-hmm. She was she, she was never one of those who would you know vote uh, the Democratic line and help us uh, maintain a majority. <laughs> I mean, she was you know uh, unreliable you know to begin with. So. I don't think that this is any big loss to the Democratic Party. It's like, oh, she's going to be an independent. And, you know, boo-hoo, who cares? Mm-hmm. She was bus. Um, again, she was somebody who was interested in, in her own aggrandizement and uh, having a little bit of power and a lot of attention. Um, and we've seen what, you know, somebody who's in it for the attention. You know, the four years of Donald Trump should have taught us that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, good riddance, I say, you know, I'm, I say, I'm too, you know, I mean, yeah. fine. It could have been worse. She could have become a Republican. And I don't think I don't think she was reliable before. And she's not going to be all that reliable going forward. So, you know, big deal. She gets uh, she gets one day where she's got her moment in the sun. You know, yeah, um, she's got, she's got the news cycle. You know what? Mm-hmm. From now on. Their problem, you yep. know, because they won't be able to count on her either. I mean, mm-hmm. believe me, this this is uh, somebody who's completely devoted to being contrarian in all things. It isn't just politics. <laughs> yes, she is a she is a remarkable uh, she's a remarkable human being in many ways. You know, uh, Tony B. There was one thing I wanted to play for you. Um, I was listening to um, an audio clip of Rachel Maddow on Instagram. This, I'm a little bit changing horses here. And Rachel Maddow was said something that I thought was really interesting. You know, we sort of feel like we've been through the fire with Trump and everything, and we certainly have. But Rachel Maddow, who, as you know, along with Michael Beschloss, is quite the student of history, she she I she think she was talking to Joy Reid on the readout and she made the point that, you know, yes, we really think we've been through it. And, you know, we might look to history to see if we can learn any lessons. But but basically there have always been people who would follow demagogues and despots. I want to play this audio for you and get your reaction to this. Paul, uh, if you could sure. get that Rachel Maddow clip. Let's listen to that now. It is easy and sort of tempting to look for historical analogies um, for our bad, inexplicable bad guys of this age. Like, it's it's interesting in, in history to look back and say, like, oh, who was their Trump or who was their Kanye West or who was their Elon Musk? Or who is, you know, whoever, whoever it is that you want to try to figure out some sort of context for. And you can do that. You can find those people. But what is more pressing to me and more telling and actually more practical in terms of what the lessons of history are is that the real historical analogy is us. A certain proportion of the American public likes this stuff. 
and falls for it over and over again and discovers it anew, like the same way that every new generation believes they discovered sex. Every new generation of Americans <laughs> in the political context believes they've discovered this efficient wave of the future where democracy, where slow, boring democracy that lets all the wrong people have decision-making power instead will be replaced with this efficient leadership where we have a dictatorship who makes everybody believe what we believe and we go back to the good old days where everybody was the same color. I mean, it's just the same appeal over and over and over again. And for me, that is helpful because it means you don't need to actually be good at it. Donald Trump isn't great at this message. Elon Musk isn't great at this message. Kanye West is not great at this message. None of them are. But we are, to a certain level, a certain number of us are primed to like it, even when it's presented to us in this very ham-handed way. That to me is helpful because it means we need to have kind of a permanent anti-fascist consciousness as a country to fight back against it because somebody will always be peddling it. A permanent anti-fascist mindset, Tony, that yes, we're going through tough times. They've happened before and they will happen again. Absolutely. And and you leave even the slightest opening of the door and it seeps in. I mean, this stuff, you know, it didn't start with Trump. I mean, this has been laying dormant, you know, white supremacy and, you know, misogyny and xenophobia. Um, this stuff's been laying dormant for a long time. All he did was give them permission to, you know, utter these ugly thoughts out loud and told them it was okay. Um, exactly. And then we found out precisely who walks amongst us, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it was, uh, it was quite an awakening uh, when I realized how many people that I knew or thought I knew uh, harbored this same kind of ugliness. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. For the first time, you know, I've, there have always been people like this. There've always been people who felt a certain way, but Donald Trump brought it out of the closet People felt that way, like they might have hated black people or hated gay people, but they knew it was socially unacceptable to say those things. So even though they might have believed them, they didn't bring them to the cocktail party or the family Thanksgiving table. Donald Trump gave them permission to do just that. To put a better point on it, yeah, they didn't bring it to the you know Thanksgiving table or the cocktail party. And, and there's another reason for that, because deep down, they know it's wrong. They know it is absolutely wrong to harbor those kinds of feelings. All they're yeah. looking for is some consensus to let them air that crap out. You know, and it's where I wanted to make one point about Kristen Cinema. You, you remember those kids when you were little, the kid who took his ball and went home? Kristen <laughs> Cinema. Yeah. She took her bone home. Thank God she's gone. Yeah. And, you know, I think that it's going to be interesting to see how how they are able to keep her in line. I mean, we've already got, you know, for those of you who don't realize, I mean, Bernie Sanders is not registered as a Democrat. He's an independent. Angus King, the senator from Maine, is an independent. Both Bernie and Angus caucus with the Democrats and vote essentially with the Democrats. We will see if Kirsten Cinema turns out to be that kind of an independent 
or or whether you know they say she she believes she's like this reincarnation of John McCain. She's a maverick, Tony. So I don't know what the hell that means. I don't either. I don't either. And and, and the thing is, is that um, neither party's going to want her to caucus with. Her. <laughs> you know, she she's too much of a wild card. It's like even if you need her vote. You have to ask yourself, as a body politic, as a political party, do you want it? Mm. Do you want anybody on board with you? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I think hey, I, is politics are way into irrelevance. <laughs> yeah, really. I think you're absolutely right. Hey, I know uh, we still have a few minutes left. I wanted to get your take on the candidate sheet for the Chicago mayor's race. It's uh, six. No, it's nine people now. It's believed it might might be winnowed, winnowed down to six once all the signature challenges come and go. Um, But um, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you tell me before that you're looking the your favorite so far is Chewy Garcia? Not, Not necessarily my favorite, but the way I described it is. After all the sturm and drang, he's the leper with the most fingers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, if you, if you know, uh, Willie Wilson, Willie. Lori Lightfoot, Rod Sawyer, Paul Vallis, Brandon Johnson, Cam Buckner, Jamal Green, Sophia King, Brandon Johnson, Mr. Garcia, Frederick. Uh, Co- well, we can discount them. Um, so, of that current like, crop, Joan, I like Brandon Johnson, but. I don't think he really has an organization yet. And I think, you know, six to eight years down the road, he could be ready for the big seat. But I'm telling you, um, everybody who threw their hat into the ring, I want to get in the ring and throw all the hats back. <laughs> you know, I, believe me, most of the candidates, I wouldn't give you a nickel for. Um, but uh, I think Chewy is the most accomplished politician. Uh, the guy who's most familiar with the process. And I think at his heart, he's a reformer, but I think he's also pragmatic. I think he goes, uh, he's one of those guys who I think doesn't so much want to rock the boat, but wants to create some positive change. I think at his heart, he's a pragmatist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, along in Chicago politics for a very long time. Yeah, really? Yeah, I love about him is that four years after becoming a citizen, he ran for office. He elected to participate in the process. He elected to participate in democracy. And there's something to be said for that. Um, I, you know, I supported him when he ran against Rahm Emanuel. I would have supported Daffy Duck if he ran against Rahm Emanuel. (laughs) you know, I just thought he was a disastrous kind of mayor, and I th- I thought he hid a lot from us. And uh, the Laquan McDonald case proved it out. He did hide a lot from us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe for one second that he was unaware of that tape. Yeah, nobody you know, believes uh, that. Not when you've got somebody like him who's described by all the people who work with him as a micromanager. And there's also like, you know, for people who don't understand how government works, there's at least once a week, there's a the mayor gets a briefing from all the departments, including the cops, of what's going on and what is potentially problematic. 
Hey, I think I think Biden did the safest thing you can do with the Rahm Emanuel. You know, <laughs> Send him to Japan. Just put him on the other side of the world where he can't <laughs> screw things up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't miss him. You know, and, you know, somebody said to me the other day, well, at least the city was working under Rahm Emanuel. It's like, really? Mm. It's like, public schools were a disaster. I it mean, was working if you were uh, downtown off Mich- on or near Michigan Avenue. Yeah. yeah, try the west side, the far south side. The, the public schools are what I hold uh, against Paul Dallas the most. Um, you know, and I, I watched what he did in New Orleans, you know, where they bought into that whole uh, charter school thing. And, you know, something like 250,000 people did not come back to New Orleans from Houston and from Mississippi and from other cities. Um, I'm a big fan of public schools. I'm a big fan of not diluting funding uh, for public schools in order that you may, you know, throw more money at charter school systems. I believe every single person, no matter what their economic background, deserves the same opportunity in an education. And that we definitely agree on. And I think we're going to have to, in the in the future, focus on the funding formula because the funding formula that we've got right now has inequity built into it. Tony, um, we are way past um, the time we're going to be doing a commercial break by computer, whether we want to or not, pretty soon. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. All I right. really appreciate you being here. Happy to be here. Thank you. Happy holidays. We are going to take a break, and uh, we're going to be back with more right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Chicago is a big financial center, and those people who work in that industry read a specific newsletter, the John Lothian newsletter, where he keeps them informed about which companies are doing what and which uh, CEOs and other leaders of companies are moving around. Uh, I thought John would be a great person, uh, as you know, in, to continue my education when it comes to the world of finance. I um, I don't have a great depth of knowledge. And when I read things, you know, I get the Wall Street Journal. You'd think I'd be better at this by now. But I read these articles and I'm not sure what the ramifications are. For instance, the Fed and interest rates and inflation and when we you know, raise rates and when we lower rates and what are the benchmarks. I read these articles, but I sometimes feel like I miss the implications of it. There was a Wall Street Journal article on Tuesday, Fed to weigh rates higher than 5%. Brisk wage growth has officials ready to boost benchmark more than investors expect in 2023. I don't understand things like this because to me, wage growth is a good thing. And it seems to me that we raise rates to try to slow the economy, which would seem to mean that salaries and wage growth would stop or regress. It is very puzzling to me how all this fits together. And Mr. Lothian has promised that when we are finished talking today, I will understand this. Is That is what you promised, John, isn't it? Oh, I don't know, but I'll try. <laughs> okay. 
explain to me why is wage growth a bad thing? Well, wage growth goes right into inflation, and it's a key component of it. And so, you know, we've seen wage growth for a lot of different reasons, um, whether it's been related to the pandemic and the fact that, um, you know, there's been people that have taken themselves out of the the workforce, and so we've needed to bid up wages in order to get people to come back to jobs, or um, or whether it's people have uh, decided that they really, um, you know, they want to do different jobs, and so they moved um, to jobs that uh, that they're more comfortable with for different reasons, and and so you know, wages have have moved up, and. Uh, there's a you know, the Fed um, looks at a inflation rate of about two percent as being something that uh, is normal um, and acceptable and and we've seen you know inflation running at about eight and a half nine percent and um, and that's uh, that's alarming to them. And, so and let me let me back up a second. You said the Fed probably looks at an inflation rate of 2% as normal. And that means like every year, like a loaf of bread costs 2% more than it did before. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, you want you want just a, a, a normal kind of a, a slow rate of, uh, of inflation. You don't want deflation. Okay. Well, wait a minute. What's deflation? Uh, deflation is the opposite of inflation. So uh, prices are going down. Bread is getting cheaper every time I go to the store. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, that would be a good thing. Why is that not a good thing? Uh, well, because all your assets would be going down. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, so it's not just bread, but you're talking about, you know, my retirement account would also be going down and, any investments I might have would be going down as well. Correct. Correct. So, um, you know, it's um, some of this is is related to, um, you know, there, depending on which kind of philosophy you go with, um, there's the monetarist, which say that this is all a, a monetary um Thing and so we've increased the amount of money supply, and as a result of that, um, we have inflation. Um, but there are reasons for this. There are structural reasons, like the uh, the pandemic, um, the supply shortages, um, you know, the deglobalization that we have seen, where all of a sudden we've said, "Hey, you know what?" Um, we actually need to make chips here in this country as opposed to, say, in China or in other places that are less um, less friendly to us. Um, and so we're going to bring that back here. Um, and so all of a sudden we had a chip shortage. And so, you know, auto production um, became a problem. And so all of a sudden, as a result of that, you couldn't buy uh, new cars, and so the cost of new cars uh, went up um, because there was a lag for getting their, you know, the the cars, and then that made the cost of of uh, used 
cars go up, which is a key component, actually, of the consumer price index as well. Used cars? Used cars. Huh. Right. And so, um, so there were, you know, some things like that that were structural disruptions that caused um, inflationary action to happen. Okay, now the pandemic is mostly over, so shouldn't the ship right itself automatically? Um, you know, I would say that um, the pandemic is mostly over, but it's not really over in terms of how people are um, are still behaving, um, because there's a large group of people that are, are still um, not... Um, coming in groups in in contact with large groups of people that are staying out of, uh, you know, stores that are staying out of churches that are staying out of offices that are staying, you know, not don't want to go to work, um, those kinds of things. Um, and, uh, and so you're still seeing some, some impact of that from that um, in terms of like, you know, again, labor, Mm-hmm. Um, the number of people that are in the, the labor force and, and all. Um, so there are residual effects that are lagging um, that will take years to kind of work out. Um, oh, but, John, even if people work from home, I mean, I've seen the studies that say that, you know, productivity is the same or in many cases greater from employees who work from home. So that shouldn't hold any companies back, should it? Well, it's kind of hard to make a hotel bed from working from home. Well, there, yeah, there. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> or serve me when I go to a restaurant. <laughs> or serve you when you go to a restaurant or, you know, or all those types of service um, types of jobs that we took for granted for so many years. And, um, and a lot of people have moved out of those service types of jobs um, because they don't want the incidental exposure to um, to strangers because there's a higher cost associated with that because of the the threat of um, of the virus or other you know potential uh, diseases or whatever so um, so yeah there's there's still a there's still a lag there. I have to ask you something that is um, not strictly on topic. I believe um, that when, you know, when we first had our break in the pandemic and people were like, "Ooh, what does this mean? Are we going to go back to work? Are we not going to go back to work? I suspect that there were some CEOs, John, that wanted people back in the office because they need to have their minions around them to feel important. I didn't understand when I heard CEOs whose workers, you know, were like, if your work is all on the phone and a computer, it doesn't, what does it matter if the phone and the computer is on your kitchen table or in some little cubicle? I think that there were a number of CEOs that, I'm going to be very blunt here, needed to feel important, and so they needed people around them to uh, remind them on an hourly basis how important they were. And those were some of the CEOs. And eventually, because we had a resurgence, they had to back off. But we're saying everybody has to come back to the office. Do you think I am wrong about that? Do you think ego played no role? 
No, I think that you're right about that. And I can, I can speak to that from a personal uh, basis because my level of, uh, of hubris, uh, you know, went up when I went to the FIA expo conference uh, in Chicago and everybody was like, glad to see you. And, you know, saying great things about me and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. again. <laughs> uh, you know, because people read me and, you know, they're, they all have something to say and, and they all have something to say that is normally positive. Um, and so, um, so yeah, it's, it's nice to be around people that are um, saying nice things about you and CEOs naturally are going to get that type of action because uh, there's people that are trying to move up in the organization and, and um, you know, are telling them what they want to hear or, or, you know, or what they don't want to hear, um, it, you know, and at least, you know, the CEO respects them for that. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, so the, I'm sure that the CEOs wanted, wanted people back. Um, there's some more about this that I want to talk about. Um, we probably should take a break. But when we come back, John, a lot of I'm reading you know, I, I'm I'm an old fogey, but I'm, you know, you know, especially with the pandemic and working from home and the different attitudes of work for the people who are in their 20s or maybe even their 30s. I'm wondering in your industry, what kind of changes or accommodations are going to be made to make sure that those young workers get involved in these industries, which typically you know, uh, involve a lot of extra work and a lot of long hours. I'm speaking with John Lothian. He writes uh, the John Lothian newsletter, which is read by everybody in the financial industry. And if you have any interest in this kind of stuff, you definitely need to sign up for this newsletter. We'll be back with more right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm joined by John Lothian. He writes the John Lothian newsletter. Uh, anybody who is in finance reads it to find out what companies are doing and what moves are being made in the industry. He has been graciously answering my um, <clears throat> very, very basic questions. We've been talking about the pandemic and working remotely. John, I've been reading in the Wall Street Journal that certain companies, I mean, you know, everybody's saying, oh, there's a recession coming, there's a recession coming. Oh, fine, all well and good. But also I've been reading about how companies are working to hang on to their employees. They don't want their employees to be poached by other companies because um, a lot of the companies have been trouble getting good employees. So what does that mean for the way that 20-somethings and 30-somethings are going to be working in your industry? Uh, well, that's a great question. I do think that uh, employees are a key asset and that um, because of the difficulty that we've had, the labor shortages that we have, that uh, the companies are going to be a lot more um reticent to get rid of employees, although I did uh, see a story today about West Monroe Partners letting go uh, some employees, and and that's, they're related to the tech industry because they, they serve the tech industry, and the tech industry is, you know, in a little bit of a recession, letting go, people go, and so um, that's not to be uh, that's not surprising, let's just say. But um, 
But I think that, um, you know, working from home um, is a much more difficult thing for the young people because they don't get the, the networking that they do um, in the office. Um, you mean d- difficulty for their career advancement? Yeah, but they, at least within the company, but they network in different ways. And so, um, you know, they, it's, it's not as if they don't network. They're constantly networking through their social media and, uh, and other, uh, other endeavors. And so whether it's gaming or, <laughs> or whatever, uh, you know, so they, they have their ways of, uh, of compensating for not being in the office. Uh, but I would say that it's a different way uh, than, you know, my generation of, you know, having those people. I mean, the, the being on the trading floors back in the day when you kind of knew everybody on the trading floor, um, that was, uh, that was a big, uh, uh, advantage, you know, being able to know who these firms were and who the floor managers were for these brokerage firms or these trading companies or, or, or whatever. Um, you know, so there was a huge advantage in the transparency and all, all of that. Um, now today we have LinkedIn, so we can go and find out, you know, who those people are, but we have to get introduced to those people through our friends and all that kind of stuff. And so it's a little bit different, but people are very willing to do that. Um, I've always found that people are open to introducing young people to, um, to companies because companies are always looking for talent and, um, you know, and, and it's kind of like a currency that if you introduce, uh, some talent to a company that you're gaining goodwill with them. And that's, that's always a good thing. Hmm. Um, I have to say that I was, I'm switching topics here a little bit. Uh, I was yeah. um, particularly proud of myself when I looked at uh, this morning's newsletter. Uh, your lead item, the Office of the Controller of the Currency, is uh, saying be wary of crypto. John, I have been telling people to be wary of crypto for a very long time because crypto doesn't really exist, John. It's fake. Everything about it is fake. It doesn't exist. It's not anything you can hold in your hand. And I don't care what young people say about it. It shouldn't be. And I think we should stamp it out. What do you say, John Lothian? You're with me on this? <laughs> um, not completely, but I have. Oh, I'm crushed. Not, I've been very wary of it as well. Um, I actually, uh, in the early days of Bitcoin, had a conspiracy theory about how uh, it was created. Um, and uh, it goes down a deep, deep, deep rabbit hole. But um, the, um, you know, the thing is, is that uh, we have to allow for innovation to occur. And, and so there are going to be times when, um, when innovation doesn't work. Okay. Um, you know, we used to send ships out, uh, to go, uh, get spices and stuff and they used to sink, um, and, uh, you know, didn't work. Right. Um, we had to build, build better ships. Um, and then we had to learn how to, um, create a product called an insurance to be able to insure those ships. Uh, so that uh, 
companies wouldn't that backed, you know, that had individual ships wouldn't go bust just because their ship uh, didn't come back. And so, you know, innovation occurs um, through trial and error and, and all this. And, and yeah, sometimes it's ugly, um, but uh, you've got to let it occur and uh, good things will come from that. Um, you know, I mean, there were lots of people that were saying the same things about the Internet when uh, when the Internet was there. Why do I need the Internet? So there have always been I've, I've you know, they always talk about early adopters. I've always been very proud to be among the latest to adopt any new idea or any new technology. Um, and, you know, when back when I was at Channel 5 and we switched our writing from com- from typewriters to computers, I guarded my typewriter jealously. I didn't want to ever give it up. So, um, you know, if, if you ever hear that I – what do you do? Do you buy a Bitcoin? Do you mine a Bitcoin? Where do you find Bitcoin? If if you ever hear that I have Bitcoin, you'll know that, that literally it's everywhere because that's the only time I'll ad- uh, adopt it. Seriously, where do you get Bitcoin? Where does it come so from? You could actually, you could actually go to – a machine in your local jewel, okay, and and buy some Bitcoin, hmm. okay. Um, so some of the uh, the coin machines that you could take your uh, your pennies and nickels and quarters and all that to, um, you can actually uh, turn that into Bitcoin um, when you uh, when you go to jewel. Um, so. There's ATM machines where you can, you know, put your credit card in and and turn stuff into Bitcoin. Um, you know, you can open an account with uh, somebody like Coinbase and then, um, you know, make a trade and and uh, and get delivered Bitcoin to your Bitcoin wallet there at Coinbase. Oh. Um, Mr. Lothian, I find this terrifying. This should I, not be. I, this should not be in my grocery store. This is not good for this is not good for anyone. Um, John, thank you so much. Thank you for answering my very basic questions and um, and telling our audience about some of this stuff and how it works. Really appreciate your being here. We'll have to get you back soon. OK. Sure. Sure. And uh, if I don't speak to you, have a happy holidays. You too, Mr. Lothian. And uh, to our audience as well, Um, I hope I will see you on Monday or hear you on Monday, but have a great holiday if for some reason you're taking a vacation. Um, Take care, my friends. Have a great weekend. Driving at Home with Patty Vasquez is next. I'll see you Monday. Good night. Good night.